Hey, what's up, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Circle with Disney, for sponsoring this episode. Uh, Circle is actually a device we use in our home. It's this beautiful white box and a really user-friendly app designed specifically for families to help manage the content and time online for all the devices in your home. So it pairs with just about every Wi-Fi router, and then it recognizes every device that's connected to it. So whether you've got a tablet, a PC, a smartphone, a Chromebook, an iPad, iPhone, it doesn't matter. Matter. Uh, you can manage the content and filter content on every single device. You can even set specific profiles up for each family member. If you're interested in picking one of these up, you can actually go to meetcircle.com, type in the promo code DADTIRED, and that will give you $10 off and free shipping. That's a super good deal. Go to meetcircle.com, use the promo code DADTIRED to take $10 off and get free shipping. So I recently just got done listening to this audiobook called Tech Wise Family, and man, it was so good. We live in 2018. As you know, it's like impossible to avoid a screen. You're probably listening to this podcast on some kind of screen or device. Uh, and so it's really hard to figure out like, okay, how do I put technology in its proper place in my life? And then also how do I teach my kids who are bombarded with technology how to put it in its proper place? And how do we just like build a family that puts technology in its proper place and, and uh, is influenced by the gospel and having those two worlds, technology and the gospel kind of collide. Uh, so the book was great. I, I immediately, as soon as I was done listening to it, I'm like, man, I got to get Andy on the show. And he graciously agreed to come hang out with us today. Uh, if you want to listen to the book, you can actually pick it up for free if you're not already an Audible member. Go to dadtire.com forward slash Audible and you can listen to his book for free. Uh, but without further ado, here's my new friend, Andy Crouch. Andy, thanks so much, man, for hanging out with us today. Uh, tell us first for our audience who you are and what you're up to these days. <laughs> uh, I'm Andy. I am a, I'm a journalist, really. Uh, I think that's what I am these days, although I used to be a musician. I'm a dad. Uh, I work for an organization called Praxis that tries to advance entrepreneurship uh, through a kind of mm. redemptive lens. Uh, we're Christians who think uh, the Christian faith actually could shape the kinds of startups we, we create. And my job as a journalist is to tell the stories of what people are doing and also to kind of interpret, I guess, theology and culture for, for our community and uh, in the lens of entrepreneurship. So that's, that's a new job uh, just since uh, March 1st. And wow. it's super fun. <laughs> the 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 start the entrepreneur startup thing is a new job or the journalist side of yeah, things is a new no, job. No, no, I've been a journalist for twenty years and right. but Praxis uh is a new uh it's an organization I've worked with in various ways for a number of years, but joined full time uh just uh, on March one. Wow. Yeah. Uh you're doing a lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> I, you know, I was a, there was a point in my life, uh, I still feel like I'm young, I'm 31, so I, I still, I still feel like a young guy. <laughs> I got a lot of life to figure out still, but uh, there was a point in my life where I realized, uh, I guess I thought most of my life I was kind of flaky because I was always wanting to do new things, mm. and uh, mm. I didn't know if like, do I have ADD, am I lazy, do I have a short attention span, I didn't know what it was, but 
I, I, there was a point where I realized like, I think God has wired me huh. just to do a lot of different things yeah. and to start a lot of different yes. things. And that's, it's okay to like sit in that gift. Can, can, it sounds like maybe you can relate to that. Yeah. It is also, it's possible for all that to be true and also to be ADD and be lazy. <laughs> and cause I'm, I'm definitely lazy sometimes, but uh, yeah, no, I'm restless. I think by temperament and part of why I really feel at home among entrepreneurs um, is people who found things often have that kind of restlessness and, and they're actually not very good at running things or maintaining things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm Mm -hmm. a little bit like that. I'm not um, uh, actually what I love is when I'm at the sapling stage of things. So I'm, Hmm. I'm not that great at looking at a completely empty field and, and planting seeds or, or imagining a building. But I'm not real happy when it's like an oak tree that's that you're just kind of trimming. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so I feel that too. I and and I I have totally embraced it. I'm 50, and I think when I was 31, I was really worried that I was never going to have a career. Like I, that is yeah. a thing that I clearly did, and I haven't had. <laughs> and it actually turns out to be totally fine. Uh, yep. If you have a certain level of risk tolerance and. Um, you know, there's certain things that you do deepen in and commit to over a, over all of life. But in other ways, that frees, at least has freed me to be very flexible in, in what I've done and how I've done it. Yeah, freedom is the key word there. That's that's what I've experienced is kind of really, this is how God's wired me. Yep. Uh, and if I'm, like you said, willing to take some risks and trust God in the midst of it, yeah. uh, it, it offers a lot of freedom. And uh, although my wife is always freaked out, she's <sighs> like... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can yes. You just stay with one thing, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, and sometimes that's very useful ballast to have is a spouse totally. who is kind of raising some questions about stability and sustainability. <laughs> totally, she is opposite of me and God's gift to me. Oh, totally. uh, otherwise we would be like bankrupt and moving every two weeks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yep. yeah, she's a gift. Wow. Uh, well, dude, I, I want to talk about your newest book, TechWise Family. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't remember how it came across. I don't know if somebody recommended it or I found it on Amazon or where, where I got a hold of it. But I listened to it on audiobook. Oh wow! Because uh, I'm a, because I'm a young dad. Um, so I don't have time to like just sitting sit and down read all the time. To read. Yeah. yeah not, not very likely. So, yeah. So audiobooks is like my, you know, we're cleaning up the house and listening to audiobook. But yeah, your it. book, I'm not just saying this. I, you're going to feel like I'm just saying this. I'm really not. It was one of the very few books that I was genuinely disappointed when it was done. Oh. When I got to the last chapter and it finished, I'm like, man, wow. I wanted that to keep going. Wow. Um, and I've read, crazy enough, I've read like three books like that. Uh, this year and <laughs> only three, but three, three books this year. So you uh, are just like, saying that every book yeah, you no, read. Or... <laughs> no, no, I've read way more than three books oh, right, right. and only three of them have been like uh, this year have been ones that I was bummed. And yours was one of them, man. Wow. Uh, I've already put in a lot of, we've implemented a lot of the uh, ideas that you shared in that book, which I want to get into. Huh. Um, but tell us, you know, kind of w- where you started. How'd you, how'd you get the idea to write this book? TechWise Family. Yeah, there were two things that converged, I think. Um, one was something I was noticing, which is I would be speaking. I, a lot of my journalistic writing and my books have been about kind of culture and the image of God. And um, so those are the things I'm usually talking about. But in the course of speaking, often in like Q&A, um, one way or another, I'd mentioned something, some choice my wife and I had made as we were parenting our kids who are late teenagers now, 20 and 17 as, as we speak. Um, and I would talk about 
you know, like we didn't have a TV at all for 10 years or we never had video games or, you know, often um, like limits, uh, even though, as we'll probably talk about, limits is not the only way I think about technology by any means. Um, After the talk, there would be this line out of I might be exaggerating a bit but often several um like young parents couples or or parents coming up to say I want to know how you did that because I'm trying to figure out how to how to handle all this flood of devices and I don't know what to do so I was experiencing kind of the demand or I might even say desperation uh, for help (laughs) among Mm -hmm. uh young parents younger than me with kids younger than me at this stage and then the second thing that happened is that my friends at the Barna Group, which is a kind of market research firm um, that looks at culture, uh, looks at it, among other things, through the lens of faith, they just were seeing in all the research they were doing that this was uh, that this was a huge issue. So they approached me and said, if we did some original research with families uh, in the United States and did kind of real uh, in-depth surveys and just tried to learn kind of what the landscape is of family and technology, would you be willing to write uh, kind of the the normative side of it? So, you know, survey research can only tell you what is, but they said, so would you write something about what could be or what maybe ought to yeah. be? And that sounded really great. And so we um, did did this as a partnership. So as you've seen, um, well, I don't know, actually, uh, when you hear the book, you may not, there's a ton of graphs in it and research, which we do summarize in the audiobook, but it's obviously very hard to read a a pie chart. (laughs) Right. So you might, you may have missed how much actually just data is also in the print version of the book. Um, But uh, but my job was just to write essentially about what I've learned from parenting kids for 20 years um, and and what worked, what didn't work. Uh, I said to them, OK, I can write about what could be or ought to be, but I also have to disclose all the ways in which our family did not do these things that I think we yeah. should have done. So yeah. every chapter, as, as you know, ends with um, this section called Crouch Family Reality Check. <laughs> Where I just as honestly as I can uh, and transparently say, here's the ways that we have not lived up to this one. And God's been good to us anyway. So I, I that love was the, that part. <laughs> you know, I, it felt so important to do. And it's probably the thing I've gotten the most comments on, even though it's just a couple paragraphs per, at the end of each chapter. But it makes a big difference to just be honest about how complex um, this is and how complicit I can be in not actually doing what I know is best for, for me and yeah. my family. Yeah, well, you're writing, uh, I I imagine, primarily to young families and young, like my generation, especially, uh, we don't like experts. We're we're, Uh, we're really uh, weary of are not weary, uh, skeptical of of experts. And so what you did was uh, you for those of listeners who haven't read it yet, uh, they you, you put a chapter together of a principle and then you put the data together, which I went to the library and rented the book, oh, oh, wow. uh, borrowed the book so that I could look through those graphs. Yeah. Um, uh, cause I'm cheap, but I'll buy your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My publisher. Thanks you. <laughs> yeah. I did get the audio version. I promise yeah, I paid for that. I, you know, which I uh, was, I don't know. Anyway. So I, I borrowed the book from the library so I could read the graphs, but then you did, like you said that, um, the end of there where you kind of admitted like, here, here's, here's how we actually did on this principle, <laughs> which man was so refreshing for uh, a young dad to like read that. I was like, man, that's, I really appreciate you given the ideal and then what it uh, actually, how you, how you actually did with that. That was super, super helpful. You know, there's going to be a lot of, go ahead. Well, did you have a I'm, I'm curious why you think your 
kind of cohort, and I think it was somewhat true, maybe of mine as well, are are suspicious of experts. Like, what is it that is it that there, it's kind of lopsided? Like, it presents the world as too simple and neat without disclosing all the ways in which our own lives are messy? Or what, what do you think is the reason for that? Yeah, I think that that definitely plays into it. I don't know if this is a full answer, but I remember thinking, um, you know, even younger, as a kind of a younger kid or maybe early teenager, I remember thinking like somebody could get on stage uh, in a nice suit and have some fancy degrees. And <laughs> my mom would be like, she's in. She's like, yes, huh. that I agree. Huh. Uh, this guy's got respect. <laughs> you know, we, huh. we should respect this man. He's finished college. He's got a good education. <laughs> he looks good. And I remember thinking like, well, I don't, what do we We don't know that guy, you know, like what, wow. uh, what wow. has he done? You know, is he messed up just like any of us, you know? And, uh, I've, that's like just been true of, of all my friends. Like it don't, we don't care what school you went to and, we, yeah. and with technology growing and the, the, rise of social media like we yeah. can see we don't care who you are yes. uh, there's some it doesn't matter if you're our president or uh any kind of leader or public figure or how many degrees you have or whatever like everyone's getting thrown under the bus you know like every, no everybody's junk is being exposed <laughs> uh and so it's like yeah, yeah we don't really trust anyone you know i uh i have kind of a standard bio on my website you know that just tells kind of who i am what i've done and and I, I really have found myself discouraging um, people who are introducing me from reading any of it I, because mm. I sense this. So, and you know, I have, I did finish college <laughs> and I went to a college that people have heard of and, and so forth. And, and I find it almost it has the opposite effect from what people think it will have on, on younger mm. audiences. I totally yep. feel that. And, yep. and it's not like, I mean, I'm grateful that I got the education I got, but but I don't see it as my credential to speak um, in any real way. And, and when it's deployed that way, it actually seems to have the <laughs> opposite <laughs> effect on credibility. And I, the other thing that strikes me is expertise is attainable in highly technical domains. So a, right. a technical domain is one where it can be analyzed in a reliable, controllable way. And when you get to something as complex as parenting, like there is no one can really truly say they're an expert. Um, this is one of the challenges with our current moment with all this technology. So there's, there, there is, I will say, I don't know if there's trust in experts, but they're sure people sure are interested in data. Um, so people will come up to me and they'll say, well, what's the evidence by which they mean data, um, for what effects say devices have on children's education. Hmm. And the problem is that is not, something it's very easy to gather reliable data on. Now people are trying to study it, but that's, you're talking about social science research, which is very difficult to do in reliable ways. Cause it's very hard to have, you know, a controlled experiment. Right. Right. And, and there's so many things that can confound your findings, whether you find harm or find that it doesn't matter. And also this stuff is so new. Like there are no experts on this. We are all figuring it out. <laughs> right. And, and certainly when I, when my son was like eight years old, he's 20 now the last thing I felt like was an expert in parenting. kids. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. We are making this up every day. And then you figure yeah. out how, how to deal with one set of things at like age seven. But then six months later, you have a totally new set of things that you're trying to deal with. <laughs> like that's parenting. So yeah. I think the distrust of experts is really appropriate in these very complex domains like being a human being <laughs> being yep. a person who's trying to be a believer being a person who's trying to be a parent like there is there's no one who ought to claim being an expert in that 
And it's hard, man, because as a, I, I read a lot and as a young parent, like I, I'm trying to get my hands on any kind of resource that can help me because I feel what you just said every day. I feel like I'm changing my strategies, <laughs> yes, but that's yes. partly because I read a book that's like, this is the way you need to do oh, it. Gosh. And then the next day is the exact opposite. Don't do this. You're going to scar your kid for life. I'm like, oh my gosh, my poor kids have gone through a million experiments in <laughs> parenting. Oh, yeah, man. totally, totally. This is uh, completely you, normal. I want to assure okay. you. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> and Jeez. they will survive. Uh, they, <laughs> children are amazingly resilient, honestly. Yeah. I mean, beyond just knowing that they're loved and that you're there, like th- as long as they have that, there's almost nothing you can do that will really cause like irre- irreparable damage. <laughs> yeah. I try to, I actually try to, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more like uh, going back to the entrepreneur thought. I'm, I'm okay with taking risks. My wife, on the other hand, she can get worried like, man, we need to stick to something again. <laughs> you know, like let's pick one parenting strategy and just stick. And I'm, and I try to remind her, you know, I, the kids know their love, man. We're so consistent in that. Like yeah. we, we may change some of our, uh, you know, TV times or dinner yeah. times or yeah. the way that we discipline or, you know, but at the end of the day, I think we're, hopefully they hopefully they ask me in 20 years but i think they know their love right now oh man uh some some guys are gonna like hear this see the title of this podcast or read your book and think oh gee like i feel overwhelmed i don't even know how to control my own technology i can't uh-huh. escape it like let alone try to help my kids go like are Completely. you gonna tell me i have to move to the country and be amish uh <laughs> which is actually a legit an actual question i had in my head i even wrote that out as a question as i was reading and then yeah. you literally used the words <laughs> uh amish in there which was right, hilarious right yeah, yeah so yeah dive in for for guys like oh, yeah. anyone that's wrestling with that thought yeah yeah, totally. Well, um, yeah, first of all, this book is definitely not just about the kids. Uh, so people off, you know, they sort of assume it's about like screen time limits for children. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, first of all, I, I really don't like parenting by limits. I think that's like the worst form of parenting. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually think it's bigger than screens, as big a deal as screens are in all of our lives. Um, it's it's something deeper than that. But mm-hmm. above all, it's not just about the kids. Um, it's very much about us. And it's in some ways more about us, the adults, the parents, than it is about the, the children. Um, and when we honestly look at our own lives, um, and the kind of patterns of our lives and the unexamined habits of our lives, it's so clear we all need help. And so one instinct is to think, my gosh, do I have to become Amish? And that doesn't feel realistic. And in this book, um, I will say, uh, I live in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which is just two counties east of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which has the largest Amish community in the United States. And we mm. go out there to, to bike because it's such amazing countryside and it's so quiet because many people don't have cars. So you're often sharing the road with buggies rather than um, mm. cars. And the, the young Amish guys really like to race bikers uh, <laughs> with their buggies. <laughs> and awesome. so you'll be like going up a hill and, and you'll, that's uh, awesome. The horse is like all out. <laughs> and so is the biker. Anyway, I will say it's totally like you go out there and you realize there is another way to live. And it doesn't, it has less to do with technology. The Amish use actually many kinds of uh, engines as long as they're stationary. They actually use phones. They have, they have internet for their businesses, but you look at the way they relate to each other uh, as families and the incredible intergenerational connections. You just see like in the yard as you're biking by, you see parents and children interacting in such an extraordinary way. Um, And you realize we shouldn't write this off entirely. Like (laughs) there's something here. So what I say in the book is you don't have to become Amish, but you probably have to become more Amish than you think in that you are going to, if, if we want to actually have the lives we say we want, 
uh, or or that we want when we really think about it, when we really reflect, what kind of what do I want my children to say about me when they're when they're fifty and I'm whatever I'll be seventy five? Um, what do I want my grandchildren to hear from their parents about me? Uh, what do I want my life to add up to? If I'm going to have that kind of life, I am going to have to make choices that sometimes feel as radical and different from the culture around me as the Amish seem to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least that's the case right now. I mean, I am ho- holding out hope that I, I think our whole culture is so undecided on what we think about all these devices. It's kind of interesting. Like there are some things we're totally decided on. Like, you know, the sexual revolution has come and gone and the vast majority of Americans are like, yep, I want that. I want that kind of freedom. I don't want the old limits. I don't want the old restrictions. Like we're, are, as a culture, we're locked in, I would say, on the fundamental premises of the 1960s sexual revolution. But the 2010s tech revolution, the smartphone revolution, you sense so much ambivalence. Like people are not at all sure that we want this. And you have the guy who created um, the scroll wheel for the iPod and, and worked on the iPhone who says he wakes up in cold sweat at night at what he's mm. created. Like that's oh pretty incredible, right? So I don't actually assume that our culture is going to kind of um, take a one-way trip in the direction we seem to be going for the last 10 years since the iPhone came out. But for now, if you make different choices, you will feel kind of Amish. You will feel like, boy, I'm weird. I'm different. My kids are going to feel weird. That definitely happened to our kids. They felt very different from their classmates. Um, So uh, maybe this is a a long answer that's not actually answering the core question you're asking, but fundamentally you're going to, like all of us, not just kids, but also parents and dads are going to need, need to make choices that seem quite different, but that I have found totally set you, well, totally set you free. That's too strong. Have significantly given me significant more freedom in my own life. Like even if I didn't have kids, my life is better because I worked through the things in this book and made some choices um, than it would have been otherwise. And I feel less like attached in an unhealthy way um, to my devices uh, in a way because the issue is forced by having to think through how our family was going to do it. Yeah. The, uh, were you referring to the, the, the guy that um, created the spin wheel for the iPod? Is, is that the article that talked about the, the, the people who are like, they, they made the notifications on Facebook <laughs> and things like that. And, they, and now they, they're not even on Facebook like they yes. and they won't let their kids be on. Is that that same article? It, it's different. Uh, so the inventor of the scroll wheel is uh, Tony Fidel. Um, and that was an interview maybe a couple of years ago. But then, yes, uh, more recently, the, the engineer who who wrote the blog post announcing the like button for Facebook, she now yeah. has on her like browser a plug-in that completely deletes the news feed. Uh, like it, it just, so you don't ever see it, (laughs) which when I was on Facebook, I totally understand why, because when I was on Facebook, I left a number of years ago because I, for many reasons we don't have to talk about necessarily, but, um, I would, when I needed to open it up to like communicate with a friend or to post something or whatever, uh, I was so unwilling to just have whatever random thing, usually outrage and 
sometimes very inappropriate, that some quote unquote friend of mine had posted just show up on my screen that I would right. open up Facebook with like one hand on the keyboard uh, in my browser and I would have my other hand like over the newsfeed to cover it up <laughs> because I, I don't want to be owned by whatever stream yeah. of things. And so the very person who invented the thing that gives us the newsfeed, which, you know, prioritizes what people click like on, like she's like, no way, I'm, I'm out. And I met another guy Crazy. who makes his whole living marketing to people on Facebook. Facebook, and he's really good at it. Uh, he has a you know multi million dollar company doing this, and he said, "Oh yeah, I totally blocked the newsfeed." <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. <laughs> so crazy. I, 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 we don't have to get into why you're not on Facebook, but I also deleted. Um, so what I did is we run we run a closed community for on Facebook for all a lot of the dad tired listeners. Yeah. So we have thousands of guys who awesome. listen to the podcast and then go over there and talk about it. Um, but so I'm, I'm highly engaged in that little group. Yeah. Um, but I deleted everyone else off of my friend's feed, like yeah. my mom, my wife, my grandma, like <laughs> yeah. everybody yeah, got yeah. cut yeah. Um, yeah. for that same reason. And you know, what's interesting, man, is when, when I tell people that when people are like, Hey, you know, let's, uh, I'll add you on Facebook. I'm like, Oh, I actually don't have Facebook. Uh, it's like, it's like saying like, you don't drink alcohol yes. or like, you know, it's or like the, the same you're kind Amish. of, yeah. Or you're Amish. <laughs> I don't people use like, electricity. Oh. What? How, how do you survive? What? <laughs> It's so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but on the uh, other side of it, so like inside the system, right? So for all of us who use electricity, we're like, I cannot imagine a life without electric service coming into my house. Like that would be a life not worth living, right? Yeah. Um, you just can't conceive it, but you step out of it. And like we do, even just when we go for a morning's bike ride in Amish country and you're like, oh, this is, people are living here. People are actually thriving here. People are right. taking care of the land and animals and one another and and uh, it's the same thing when you step out of any of these kind of device systems that we create. They seem so essential for life, but they're very recent. They're not necessarily on the whole good for us. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and I now I will say, honestly, uh, my wife does does have a Facebook account and there are things we learn about our friends lives that we're grateful to know about. And right. I had a friend I talk about him in the closing pages of this book. Uh, who uh, had stage four cancer and lived with it for about 15 months and, and then died of it. Um, he was exactly my age, had four kids under eight. And they created a Facebook group that to this day is one of the most meaningful things, like communities, if I can put it that way, that I've ever been part of. I mean, it was a very, very, it was a great gift to be part of that. That was back yeah. when I was still on Facebook. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying beautiful, important things don't happen there. I will say if we didn't have this way of doing things, we'd find another way for those beautiful, important things to happen. And it might be a lot better in other respects. Um, and it's not until you step out of it that you find that other way. Man, that's a beautiful point. Cause that's really the heart. What you just said right there is really the heart of um, your book that, that, that I took away is that you can find better ways to like <laughs> be in relationship and community and like find ways to thrive outside of technology. Yeah. I do have like a, there is a constant tension between me. I love technology and I know you like, like oh, you, we're I doing a podcast it. right now <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> where most people will be listening to this on their phone. Um, I love technology. I geek out. I've got my whole house is surrounded by cameras and we live Ooh. in like the safest 
uh, <laughs> town in America. <laughs> but and I, all, everyone that comes over is like, dude, what the heck? Like, this doesn't fit your personality at all. Like, why do you, why do you have cameras around your whole house? And it's literally just because I love the technology. I was gonna, it's it. not like, about security. It's about the gear. <laughs> it's totally. It's totally about the gear. I just love it. I'm like, because it's Wi-Fi and it's like... It's, hiding in my tree and nobody can see it and then i can look on my phone and you know it's just the gear stuff and anyway i geek out on too but so there's i'm in a constant tension of like man i love technology i wish i could live another hundred years to see what my grandkids what's going to be invented and then the other part of me it's like i wish i could throw it all away uh and i know you're like you you resonate in that way because you you talked about in the book like (laughs) For the people who are like that, like, can you speak into that? Like, is this mean that we have to give up everything or hate technology completely? Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, I think technology, um, very broadly speaking, is is very good. So people sometimes say, well, it's not good or bad. It's neutral. I think, no, it's very good. Um, and I mean that in, in the biblical sense where God, having created the whole world and having put in the world his image bearers um, to actually uh, cultivate the world says now it's very good. Mm-hmm. And, and I think human, our human ability to take the world God made and discover how much potential is within it and develop its potential. So to discover, you know, information compression algorithms that allow you and I to have this conversation over Skype and, and, peer, yeah. and peer to peer networking, like this is all latent in the universe. The universe never had this kind of peer to peer communication that we're benefiting from. Uh, until human beings discovered it. And and I think God says, this is exactly what I wanted my creative image bearers to do. So that's, I think, um, I think that's the completely healthy component of the de- delight we take in technology is the delight in ingenuity, the de- delight in innovation, the delight in how it extends our capacities in ways that that allow us to do greater good in the world. I think there's another component of the delight that's not so healthy and it's the kind of desire for control and, mm. and mastery in a way. Uh, I think there's a special, it's clear that men and women as groups, I don't mean any individual man or any individual woman, but as groups, they relate to this somewhat differently. And, and when, when you parent boys, do you, what are, I don't know about your kids. Are they uh, a six year old boy, four year old girl? Yeah. So you have a boy and a girl as did I. And there's something about when you look at developmentally at boys, they are driven to the, to gain some kind of sense of control over the world, like, and a kind of sense of mastery in the world. And it's a very deep drive, um, for human beings, I think, but especially for, for males and technology, of course, gives us, um, that sense of I'm, I'm, you know, that sense of, I can see what's happening outside my house and I can do it over Wi-Fi, So I don't have to like go out and retrieve the tape, you know, like, and, and that sort of intoxication with control, I might say is, is a little less, uh, totally good. I think mm-hmm. it, it's not all bad for us to, cause we're made in the image of God. We're made to rule and reign over the world, but I'm not sure rule and reign. Um, it means control. Uh, so we could go down that path. It's a very deep kind of theological question. So here's what I have found so helpful. And it's the, and I do talk about it in the book. It's, it's the essential principle of Sabbath. So, so Sabbath, we think of primarily in terms of one day a week where you don't work, but I actually think it's much more deeply a, a rhythm of using all our capacities to rule and reign, which is what work at, at its best is about and, and our capacities to master our environment in order to bring flourishing out of the environment for ourselves and for those who, who we're responsible for. 
uh, that's all good six days. <laughs> but the seventh yeah. day, you stop doing that. And, and then in the biblical uh, mindset, Sabbath is not just a weekly thing. It's also, well, there was a, a yearly component to it. So every seven years, the people of Israel were told, you don't work the seventh year. Now, that's quite radical in an agricultural subsistence level economy where you're not generating a lot of surplus. And and in the Bible itself, like God says, I know you're going to ask, where's the crop going to come from in year seven? It's like, trust me, the, the earth will produce enough for you. And there's this deep sense of when we withdraw from these things, we it's like a, a, a periodic detox from the, from the intoxicating sensation of significance and control that our work and by extension kind of our technological devices give us. So for me, the way to have a healthy relationship with this stuff, which I love and which I love for some good reasons, but also love kind of maybe too much is every, every Sunday I turn it all off. <laughs> and uh, every summer I turn it off for two weeks. Um, now I will say we use, we you like we check the weather and so forth. But when I go on vacation, I turn off all my email. I stop reading things online. I take real books with us on vacation. Like we totally minimize our use of screens for two weeks, the whole family, including me. And, and then I've taken sabbaticals in uh, Lent of 2015 uh, for the whole season of Lent, which is roughly, what is that, seven weeks. Um, I, I quit my job and I had no screens for seven weeks. And wow. I, it was, it was uh, first of all, completely disorienting and terrifying at first. <laughs> and then I was like really fidgety and nervous. And then I would say the last five weeks were amazing. And did you do that every year or is this the no, first year you did No, that? I did that as part of a sabbatical. Like I, I try to aim every seven years to literally quit my job. Got it. Got it. <laughs> this is part of being an entrepreneur, right? And that re- yeah. like if you yeah. don't really have a career, you can quit your job anytime. <laughs> I quit what I'm not, <laughs> don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I try, I we and we obviously have to save and um, prepare, but I try to mm-hmm. have a real break uh, uh, roughly every seven years because I think it's a, a biblical principle that leads to more creativity and more flourishing. And in, in 2015, for me, that break included no screens. Um, wow. So to me, the way to handle that potentially immoderate love is to have a, a daily rhythm. So one hour a day, we, we all turn it all off. Um, we actually literally turn off the lights um, at dinner time and we light candles. Um, and it's amazing how, how different a candlelit dinner is from an electric lit mm-hmm. dinner. Why mm-hmm. not? Like, it's not expensive, you know, it's, uh, and yet it feels like you're having a luxury experience. <laughs> like you can be having yep. Mac and cheese and the candles yep. are lit. Um, and as you get older, there's not a problem, maybe at 31, but, uh, your spouse in the candlelight has the glow of youth and it's just awesome. <laughs> it's like, Oh, you're so beautiful. Um, so, uh, anyway, one hour a day, one day a week, uh, one or two weeks a year. If I have that rhythm of disengagement, I find that my engagement, uh, the majority of the time I'm engaged with it, but it's healthy in a way that it wasn't when I didn't have those rhythms. Yeah, we had, um, uh, I think it was who said it was, uh, he was a guest on our show, Tim Chester. Are you familiar with Tim Chester, the author? I don't know if I am. The, yeah. Theologian. Huh. Uh, and he was on and he talked about like we're, we're out of sync in our rhythm of rest. So we try to bend rest, like do a, yes. do a, do a week, a yes. year. And, uh, and our, we just oh. weren't created to do that. Oh, it's uh, so good. So binge resting doesn't work. And then we, we actually, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy named, AJ uh, Swoboda, yeah. he's a pastor here in Portland. Nice. And he did a whole episode. He wrote a book on Sabbath. Yes. Um, 
And, and it was actually one of the most engaged uh, and responded to podcasts because I think we're all living in this tension that we're like desperately wanting this rhythm of like, I want to take a break. Yes. And to, and my, my son asked, we've been Sabbathing this last year. And my, my son, uh, I remember at the beginning asked like, daddy, like, what if you have to work? Like, what, what if we <laughs> need money? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it was so cool to be able to tell him like, God is our provider. Yes. Just like you were describing in that seventh year, like we trust that God's going to take care of us. We can oh. rest because there's one who's even better than daddy who will provide for us. Oh, um, wow. And I have to say that after reading, the, so I read that chapter on Sabbath, which I just, I, I loved. I actually went straight to the store, uh, bought candles. And now every single night, uh, oh, you know, no obviously we, there's some nights that we, we don't because yeah, yeah, uh, we go yeah. out to a family with other friends or whatever, but we do candlelight dinners, uh, f- at least five nights a week oh, in our home. I love it. I dude. And it is my kids favorite yes. part of the day. Yes. They love it. And they tell all of our friends, every time somebody comes over, we have a lot of people in our home to eat and they're like, we're going to light the candles. And, and it gets weird for our guests. Cause they just, my kids just immediately when the food's <laughs> done, they go turn off every light in the house and they light the candles. <laughs> and you know, we're like having pizza or tacos and our friends are like, what the heck is going on? We have to wow. tell them this like new rhythm that we were uh, practicing, oh. but dude, it's so, so good. Children, we love it. Children so want this. And, I think mm-hmm. we've been really um, deceived, like in a pretty deep way, by how captivating devices are for kids. So, so you know, I I I feel like um, the honest truth about screens and kids is we use them to solve our problems, not our kids' problems. And, That's right. And our basic problem is we need our kids to be quiet and yep. and compliant. And so we hand them a screen and it's like magic. I mean, it's like a drug. Um, And I think there are some reasons to think neurologically it almost literally is a drug. And so everyone thinks, oh, kids want screens. And and kids, when they don't have screens, once they've had them, they get really demanding of screens. So you're like, well, my kid really wants this. And I don't deny that they are captivating in that way. But what our children really want Uh, They're wired to want, I mean, first of all, connection with people. And when you turn off all those lights and you're lit by candlelight, and and by the way, I think there's something very powerful about, um, there's something very powerful about fire uh, as opposed to, uh, I mean, we have all LED lights in our house because I'm a total gear head. Um, But you turn off that Are they smart? Are they smart bulbs? Uh, So (laughs) it is so embarrassing (laughs) that you ask that. I, I spent a rather embarrassing amount of money replacing most of our switches so that they're all smart now and I, I can it. like I sit in it. my chair and oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. You you should not have asked that question. Um, but at least I answered it answered it honestly. Anyway, I appreciate it. But we yeah, turn go, it okay, off. We turn it yeah. off and you connect with other people in a different way. There's a kind of silence, um, visually and orally, I think. And children actually want that. And those kinds of experiences way more than they want screens. It's yep. it's just that there are are like natural desiring faculties get hijacked by this um, reward system. And by the way, I think the glow is not incidental. Like the things that glow, we call them glowing rectangles in our family. So to cover all the different kinds of screens, TV, laptop, tablet, phone, the, it, human beings have not had glowing things uh, <laughs> except for fire. Uh, for for all of human history, right? Mm. And suddenly we introduce into our... So you think about how mesmerizing fire is, whether it's the flame of a candle or a fire in a fireplace or a stove or outdoors. And and you, you can just gaze at that and get lost in it and contemplate it. And now we have things that glow in front of us all the time. 
And mm. I think it hijacks um, our very deep wiring um, in a really unhealthy way. But you take those away for even a short amount of time. And once you get over the detox period for ki- kids and parents, the children themselves want these other kinds of experiences that are way more immersive or way more multi-sensory. Like think about how featureless that that iPad screen is. There's nothing to it. It's two-dimensional. That's not how yeah. kids want to experience the world. Um, so they're just waiting for us to like create the environment um, where they get past the boredom and past the sense of withdrawal. And, and then they totally love it and become the biggest advocates for it. So true. It, there, there is a little withdrawal period, oh, where, yeah. cause, and because because it's so captivating the screens. But you take that away, and it it's not that long. It's no, not that long no. where your kids like don't even ask about it, and they would much rather be playing a board game with you, or sitting in the living room having you read a book, or outside in the backyard digging for worms. Uh, when my kids are little, obviously seventeen year olds. Well, maybe it, it's dig for worms. But, <laughs> it gets. Uh, well, there's no reason a 17-year-old shouldn't love digging for worms, but right. um, it is true the withdrawal period gets longer as they get older. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, if you have a, it's the the hardest conversations I have, having written this book, are with folks who have teenagers, and and the parents are like, "Oh my gosh, we haven't been intentional at all. Like, our yeah. kids have them in their bedrooms. We don't know what's going on. What do we do?" I'm like, "Okay, I have to tell you." taking it away is going to be brutal. Like it's your kid is going to hate you (laughs) and it won't, it won't just be for an hour. Like it would be with a four year old. It's going to be for a week or two. Uh, And there's going to be ongoing social issues for, uh, in the sense that they're going to be experiencing lots of social pressure from their friends to, to reengage in unhealthy ways. So it's tough. It's so much easier to make these choices early. But even with teenagers, I, I do know parents who had to like totally do a reset, a family reset. And and the first key thing is you, you have to do it as a whole family, not just make it something like I'm taking away this device from you, but dad gets to keep his phone <laughs> on all yeah. the time. Like it's it's all of us, <laughs> parents and kids together. We're all in it together. And and even then, like after a couple of weeks of just total hell, um, actually the same thing happens. People reconnect and and. Teen, uh, teenagers are, are a whole different like story because when when children are small they are so driven to connect with you like they're constantly mm-hmm. approaching you teenagers mm-hmm. are giving you two messages at once um the first is please come closer and the other is please stay away <laughs> and Gosh, and as a, i'm not looking forward to that yeah it's tough it's really tough uh, the thing that was so you know my son did this to some extent but I sort of expected it from my son. I will say it was it was way harder with my daughter because I, I had such a warm, like intimate relationship with my little girl. And then she hit teenage years and things got tough in various ways. And when she would like go into her room and close the door and not answer when I knocked on the door and Oh my gosh, dude! I'm gonna start crying. Don't even like go there, man. I can't. Do, I can't. Do, it's only like seven in the morning right now on a Friday. Good Friday. You make me start bawling. I know. I know. So yeah, me too. So uh, we we will leave this subject. I, I will say, like, she's 17 now, almost 18, and we're on the other side of that. And it's but but there is this there's this double message that you get, and and even while that was happening, I was also getting this message: stay involved, stay engaged. Um, yeah. So. It, but a lot of parents only hear the stay away message and our culture has kind of trained us to think, Oh, teenagers want to be independent. Well they do, but they also want to be connected. And, um, you just have to trust 
maybe this is not, maybe most of your listeners even are, are more at the earlier stage, but I promise you the day is coming when you're going to be so perplexed and you just have to remember this child still wants to connect. And I just have to kind of bear the pain of creating enough of a space for us to connect that, that they'll, that desire to connect will, will win uh, over the desire for distance. It's so good, man. And what I thought one of the coolest thing is she, your daughter wrote the forward of your book, right? <laughs> yes, yes. It's so that sweet. That was so awesome. Yes. So awesome to hear her perspective <laughs> yep. of, uh, and again, just kind of back to the, uh, it, not being the expert or what we talked about earlier. Like, I guess it validated your message in a lot of ways. Well, um, for her to say, my dad did this and it was weird and frustrating at times, but we loved it and we're better for it. And I'm grateful that my parents were serious about this. Yes. Yes. And we could, I mean, honestly, we could not, I could not have written this book when they were like 11 because we were in the midst of it. We didn't know. There were a lot of days where I like, Oh my gosh, this is a total disaster. I will say not having video games was brutal for my son when he was maybe eight or nine. Cause this is all boys do together as near mm-hmm, as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And so kids, his friends, quote unquote friends didn't want to come over. And it was, and my son already was struggling to be honest, kind of socially and, and not the most natural kid with, with other boys and so forth. Oh, it was so hard. But now both of them would say we wouldn't have had it any other way. And in fact, we wish we'd been more intentional as a family and wow. that there wasn't as much to disclose in the reality checks. <laughs> wow. So yeah, you have to stick with it and just trust like, uh, love and intentionality will win out uh, 99% of the time, I really believe. I say this on almost every time I've got a guest on, but that I, I always got more questions. Uh, I literally asked you one of the questions that was on my list in front of me. <laughs> and so, uh, so maybe we'll have to do a part two or at the very least, we uh, everyone needs to go get your book right now, which is sold everywhere. So um, they can go pick it up everywhere. Yes. Uh, use your technology to buy it on Amazon. Through your Amazon it literally will be beamed into your home. Yeah, within exactly. 48 hours <laughs> or seconds. If you yes, buy the seconds, e-book. seconds. Yeah. 48 yeah. seconds. Andy, thank you, man. This was such a good conversation. I really do wish we could just go long because I've got all kinds of other questions, but thank you. I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time to hang out with us today. Such a gift to talk with you, Jared. Thank you. 